All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jimmy. How are you doing today, Jimmy? Doing good. One week till training camp. I know. Hopefully, that's the key word. Yeah, and there's actually quite a bit going on right now. As you just mentioned, we got training camp coming up. We've got the uh, NBA trying to come back right now, too. They're starting up, supposed to be on the 30th. So, again, that's going to give us kind of a good hopefully example of how the NFL can proceed and go about things. So before we jump into all that, I want to obviously start like as we always do talking about my weekly article for the sideline report. And last week I took a look at Julian Okora possibly being a better player than his brother Romeo, who currently plays for the Lions, if anyone didn't know that. I actually got a lot of flack for this article. This is kind of the first one that people kind of uh combated at me and obviously there's always going to be people who have different opinions but some people are just claiming that they have different play styles they play different positions which again i guess everyone's entitled to their own opinion but well, i guess what are your initial thoughts on the kind of comparing the two okora brothers well i like that you made an article about julian okora because we did not sign any kind of elite pass rusher in the offseason Yep. This is the guy we almost have to pin our hopes on that can outplay his third-round status. So yep. your question with the article is, will Julian Aquar be a better player than his brother? We better hope so, because <laughs> Romeo's not exactly any kind of star player, not a consistent pass rusher. So we need Julian to be a consistent pass rusher for us this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing we had discussed in previous episodes was how much pass rush can he produce and how can we potentially get an idea of how good he's going to be this year. One way to do that is with the Vegas futures odds for defensive yeah. rookie of the year. And for some reason, he's significantly higher than you would expect from a third round pick. He's in the range of sixth tied for sixth, to tied for 11th best odds across multiple online betting sites. Mm. Now, I'm not advocating you place bets or anything, but just looking at the futures odds is a good way to help assess player rankings. Yeah, of course. So that's a very, very high rank for a guy in the third round, which suggests he may get a lot of sacks this year. That's the way he would win defensive rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. His impact plays, getting 12 sacks, fumble recoveries, etc. So that's a, a good optimistic sign that he may be a good pass rusher for us this year. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that I mentioned in the article that obviously before his injury, he was initially listed as a um, first round draft pick. And in 2018, he was one of the top edge rushers in the entire NCAA. So he has definitely has the potential to produce like an elite pass rusher. Yeah, you mentioned his injury. His injury last year and his last year of college was a fractured fibula, which really should not be an issue. It's a non-weight bearing bone. When he broke it, he was able to walk off the field. Yeah. It it doesn't seem like that should have affected his draft stock. So if we're saying he should have been a first round pick, maybe there's some other reason he fell to the third round. Hard to say, but that fractured fibula really should not be an issue. Yeah. And again, even in 2019, before his injury, he still had, I think it was five sacks and only... I think it was seven games, I believe I wrote in the article. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, he still had a decent um, numbers before he had that leg injury ending his season. And Julian has the advantage of currently rooming with his brother. At least Mm -hmm. the last report was he was rooming with Romeo, which means Romeo is his virtual coach this entire offseason. So Mm -hmm. hopefully that gives Julian a head start on all the schemes that are going to be presented during this training camp. 
Of course, yeah. Again, with all this virtual stuff going on, it's nice to maybe have an in-house actual coach who knows exactly what the type of stuff that Patricia is trying to bring to the table this year. And they can push each other to stay in shape too and work out together. And exactly. Come into camp in top physical condition. Mm -hmm. And obviously coming in as an underdog with your brother, you're always going to be wanting to try and show him up and have that in-house competition, even though maybe you're not showing it or talking about it, you still got that mental brother competition always going yeah. on. That's a good point. Competition between brothers can help things out. All right. So moving on, one of the latest proposals by the NFL is actually reducing the NFL preseason games down to just one game now. Instead of initially, they were going to have two, which was going to be week two and week three. And now that one game that they want to play is going to be supposedly is going to be held August 27th, which would initially have been the week three of the preseason. So I know in a previous episode that you and me, Jimmy, have discussed maybe doing week one and week three, again, to get a little bit more of a sample size and give them a little bit more of time. So I guess what are your initial thoughts about them just holding one preseason game in total? Yeah, I. the more preseason games they can hold, the more likely the season is going to go off without a hitch. But it looks like that ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to cut down to at most two, and right now it looks like at most one. So the proposal is... One game for the Lions that would be at Miami in the third week. Now, there's been some concern from some people that they're traveling to Florida, which is maybe a hotbed for mm -hmm. positive test cases. So it increases Lions exposure. Now, let's talk about the actual risk here. The, the game itself likely does not present any increased risk beyond just a typical practice session. The main increased risk, in my opinion, would be from the travel yeah. The airport, the long airplane ride to Miami, which is one of the farthest places they could go beyond the West Coast, mm -hmm. as well as the hotel stay. So the home team is not going to have to stay in a hotel. The home team is not going to have to go on the airport or airplane. So there will be increased exposure to the Lions players and staff because they have to go on a road game for their one preseason game. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the pros and cons of this increased exposure. The cons are, yes, increased exposure to COVID, increased possible health risk. But there are some pros to that that may be a little bit controversial, but we should probably get into. Getting exposed might be a good thing for the Lions if two assumptions hold true. Number one is that most players are going to or already have contracted COVID already. Mm -hmm. These are young, healthy people who are out and about a lot. They're going to be playing a sport involving interactions with hundreds of people on a daily basis. So there is a pretty decent chance that at some point over the next few months, they are going to contract COVID. If that's true, you'd rather them contract COVID during the preseason mm -hmm. because of the second assumption, which is hopefully some degree of immunity develops once you contract COVID, which yep. will decrease the likelihood of a positive test in the future and potentially create a herd immunity, which would help prevent many outbreaks within the Lions players and staff. Mm -hmm. The fewer positive tests that a team has during the season, the greater the chance they have of winning games yep. and having a successful season. Lions 
players and Lions fans, there is increased risk of contracting COVID going down to Miami, but maybe that's actually a good thing as far as how the season plays out. Yeah, exactly. Of course, it's like you said, it's better to try and get all of that out. And that's the whole reason that we are discussing that there should have been week one and week three to kind of get that out of the way, maybe possibly contract it if they are going to and just get all of that type of stuff out of the way. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do with just one week, especially like you said, possibly going down to a hot spot. Because I know you were talking about this on Twitter. How is the, I believe it's still quarantine period for players is two weeks if they are test positive? Well, the initial report through Pro Football Talk was three weeks, which I tweeted that that's not even consistent with the CDC guidelines, which yeah. suggests 10 days maximum. Mm-hmm. Well, that report apparently was erroneous or got updated. So right now it's unsure how long a player needs to be out for return. The CDC recommendations are if you're not having any symptoms for 10 days and you have two negative tests in a row within 24 hours, you can go back. So we'll just have to wait to see what the NFL doctors decide. Yep. I feel like it's going to, they're going to put it at two weeks because though you said, like I said, three weeks is probably too long. And of course, they're going to probably want to try and get their players back as quick as possible, but they're also trying to stay on the safety side. So I'm assuming it'd probably be around two weeks is what they're going to claim to be the quarantine period. Yeah, if it's two weeks, that would have a major impact on this season. Imagine if your starter, like Stafford, is yep. out for two weeks. Or let's say that two weeks happens right before the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Imagine, or right before the Super Bowl. How how brutal would that be? The Lions make the Super Bowl. Stafford tests positive a week and a half before the Super Bowl. Just that could be just the worst luck imaginable. Then we have Chase Daniels as our starting Super Bowl quarterback. Or or, or he's positive too. And now we got uh <laughs> Jeff Driscoll or, or whoever's been sitting on their couch for the past six months. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be real interesting to see how this whole Corona affects the season. And again, like you said, maybe even at the end of the season when you're fighting for a playoff spot and you have to win those last two games, division games, whatever, and then Stafford or anyone, Marvin Jones, Penny Galladay gets COVID. They're out for two weeks now. Yeah, so my hope is that it's not going to be two weeks. My hope is that it'll be one week minimum and they'd be able to come back for that second week if the tests come back negative two days in a row yeah exactly so we'll just have to wait and see so moving on to our next topic of the day this kind of coincides with the how the nfl is handling this whole preseason debate a lot of players have been coming out recently and stating their displeasure with the nfl regarding their safety precautions that they've been doing they claim that the NBA is doing a much better job of putting their players into a safe environment, making them feel safe with the sort of bubble and the type of safety measures that they're doing regarding the temperatures, the leaving and going, all this type of stuff. J.J. Watt was actually one of the biggest players that actually went into some details about how the NFL is handling things and a little bit more. If you wanted to touch on that a little bit, Jimmy. Yeah, so let's look at J.J. Watt's tweet. First of all, I like the hashtag we want to play. That's a good positive mm-hmm message that the players are sending and that's a good hopeful optimistic sign so jj Watt immediately starts out we want to play second point we want to be as safe as possible of course third point the nfl can mandate that players show up to training camp regardless if any agreement has been reached between the nfl and nflpa i think 
that's right of the NFL to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. The next point was we still have not been granted the full proper training camp acclimation period necessary as recommend, recommended by the medical and training staffs. Now the, apparently the medical staff has been recommending a 21 day acclimation period. Mm-hmm. It seems like it'd be pretty easy for the NFL to go ahead and let the players have that, even though I don't know if that's really necessary. On a yeah. typical off-season, there's about six weeks between the last OTA and training camp. So there's already time off before training camps. Mm-hmm. And players do have some responsibility of themselves to keep themselves in shape, too. So I'm not going to have a whole lot of sympathy if that 21-day acclimation period is cut down to 15 or 10. Yeah. The next point is we still do not know if there will be daily testing or every other day testing, et cetera. Well, I don't know if the doctors even know. And it is also going to depend on how much testing is available. Every city might be different. So these are very difficult things that the NFL and the NFL medical doctors may not even know at this point. Yeah. Another point is we still do not know how a positive COVID test will be handled in regards to others in close contact, such as in the huddle, directly engaged with, et cetera. Uh, there are a couple of players like Russell Wilson who had tweeted that he's got a pregnant wife at home. Again, this is another issue where I don't think doctors know either yeah. at this point. These things are up in the air and may change during the season, depending on developments regarding COVID. So I don't know if it's fair of players to expect that we know for sure how things are going to be handled. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's like everything is still up in the air. We don't even know what's happening. I mean, in the country and how they're planning on handling things with schools getting ready to go back and universities getting ready to go back. And it's it's really a toss up with just everything on how everything is trying to be handled right now. So, again, they're just pretty much learning as they go day by day. The players do need to give the NFL and the doctors some allowance that there's still so much we don't know, and nobody can keep the players perfectly safe. No one can expect that. That's just Mm -hmm. not a fair thing to do. So let's talk about the next point that J.J. Watt tweeted. A strong and fair opt-out clause for those at higher risk or those with family members at higher risk has still not been agreed upon. Now, this is something I wanted to get into a little bit more. I tweeted about this, which is, I believe the NFL and the NFLPA should keep all at-risk language out of it. The reason is it's too hard to define what it means to be at risk. Risk lies along a spectrum, and with something like COVID, where we don't know much about it, there are going to be so many differing doctor opinions that it's almost meaningless. So if they include any at-risk language, you're going to deal with a lot of disagreements. You're going to deal with legal battles and deal with PR negativity, just like what we saw with the Elena Deladong issue with the WNBA. She says she has Lyme disease and was not granted a full salary opt-out. So the NFL is going to have hundreds of those if they include any at-risk language. It's going to be real interesting to see. And as you mentioned earlier, like certain players have even possibly families that could be at risk or something like that. So there's a lot more at risk than just like, I know you said a lot of these players are young and healthy and should be expected to have their bodies in shape and be ready. But again, even if they have families, young kids or elderly people that with their families that they're living with or that they take care of, go see anything yet. So there's a lot more at play than just this 
health of one player. Yep. And I, I think because some players are going to be at higher risk than others, potentially allowing some kind of opt-out is important and essential, even though in regular society, not every employer necessarily allows their employees to take six months or 12 months off and immediately come back to their job. Yeah. So the NFL is already a little bit not similar to the rest of society here. Mm -hmm. So the current opt-out proposal by the NFL is they must decide before August 1st. I think it would be great if players were able to decide before training camp started, but the NFL may need to allow some kind of opt-out during the season in case there's some unforeseen COVID issues, such as significantly increased severity of illness or significantly increased case numbers or a family member that potentially could have a major issue if they contracted COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, they propose that the contract will toll for one year, which means basically the contract fast forwards one year. So if this is Kenny Galladay and he opts out, then he comes back next year under his fourth year of his current deal. Mm. So he's not going to be a free agent. It's just basically like just fast forward. Yeah. I personally think that's pretty fair from an NFL and player standpoint to do that. Yeah. And one interesting thing that the NFL wanted was that you can't renegotiate the contract after you decide to opt out, which I think is the right thing because it helps prevent players from using the opt out as a holdout situation. You really don't want teams or players to be able to abuse the opt out clause. Yeah, of course. That's the biggest thing because it's kind of like in college, just taking a year of eligibility off of their contract, basically. Yeah. So let's talk about the risk for a player. If he decides to opt out, they potentially could get cut before the next season starts. Yeah. Let's take an example of Taylor Decker. He's playing under his fifth-year option this year. Let's say he opts out, and Tyrell Crosby comes in, plays really well. Well, next offseason, we might decide, all right, Taylor Duck, you're not totally worth the money. You're cut, or we're not giving you an extension anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the risks that will help players want to try to play this year and not just take an opt-out year. Mm Mm-hmm. And plus, the NFL is obviously a lot different than other leagues where, like, NBA, baseball, even hockey, you can play into your possibly 40s sometimes. But football is a much more young man's game. So those years that you have are precious, and you might not just want to waste one. I mean, again, I know safety concerns and players are in different situations in their lives or with families or whatever. But, again, some players might be more reluctant to give up a full year of their salary and all that stuff. So just to yeah, play. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, the NFL career is significantly less than NBA and MLB. Mm-hmm. And with certain positions, it's even shorter, like running back. Yeah, exactly. Even if they're healthy and they're in their prime, say another year, a whole year off, maybe away from football, because who knows, maybe they haven't been practicing as they normally would during the seasons. And then they slack off a little bit more and they're not nowhere near as good. And again, you mentioned maybe their play teams decide they're not worth the contract. And there's a lot that can happen in that year if they take a whole year off. Yeah, that's a really good point. Also, taking a year off means they're not coming back as the same player. Look back to Mike Williams, who we drafted a long time ago. Mm. He tried to come out in the draft. They wouldn't let him, so he took a full year off from college. Matt Milling still drafted him in the first round, thinking he'd be a great player to pick up right for where from we left off. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He was fat, out of shape, and wasn't a very good player. Yeah, that's a great example of how taking a year off can be a negative impact on a player. All right, so... 
we'll go ahead and we'll move on to our last topic of the day. We'll just touch on some of this real quick. Again, with NFL training camps, hopefully starting up soon. We've And as you mentioned earlier in the episode, that we haven't really signed a big name pass rusher to address the our terrible sack situation last year. We've only kind of brought in Julian Okora, and we're hoping that some of our other players like Deshaun Hand and Austin Bryant maybe can step up after having injury-filled years last year. Everyone keeps talking. We know Everson Griffin is still out there. There was some stir up on Twitter with him talking about, I think, commented back at a Matt Patricia tweet, something like that. So there was a little bit of stir up there. We still know Jadavian Clowney is still a free agent, but it's also kind of rumored that he's probably going to end up back in Seattle. And then last, we still have Yannick Ngakwe down in Jacksonville, who is still requesting a trade. And the Jaguars have have been kind of denied so there's still a few out there obviously they all have their issues that they come with them that's why they're still unsigned at this point i guess what are your thoughts do you think that the lions need to still sign a free big free agent pass rusher do you think we should just try and develop some of our younger players well we definitely need a pass rusher but there's a reason these three guys are still out there so mm-hmm. let's talk about each one individually the best guy to have probably would be yannick Ngakwe. he's the youngest at 25 years old mm-hmm. he seemed Fairly healthy. He had eight sacks last year, 37 and a half sacks total over four years. However, major social media and off the field concerns. Mm-hmm. He was getting a beef with the owner's son, publicly bashing the team, demanding trades. Is this really a guy you want to get? And you don't get him for free either. You right. have to trade the Jaguars a pick or more for him. Mm-hmm. The Jaguars it sounds like want at least a first round pick. And for me, that's not worth it to give mm-hmm. up a first round pick as well as a top of the market salary for a guy who's shown to be such a malcontent. Yeah. And then Everson Griffin, he still has his issues. He's had uh, mental health issues and some off field issues, stuff like that. And he's had injury issues as well, too, in the past. Yeah. A lot of people want Everson Griffin because we've seen him destroy the Lions over yeah. the past few years. He's just just a beast out there. Uh, and Stafford, I'm sure, never wants to see Everson Griffin on the <laughs> other side of the line ever again. Right. But there are major mental health issues here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the public intoxication with battery of a cop as a rookie. History of marijuana use. In 2018, there were multiple issues that were widely publicized. Verbal outbursts, multiple incidents with police, including one where he showed up shirtless and unprompted to teammate Trey Wings' house. And then he escaped from an ambulance. There was an article where, quote, he says, I lived in a sober house for three months from October to the end of the 2018 season. Mm -hmm. Wow, these are major red flags. We're talking about just red flags popping up all over the place. So reading between the lines, what could be the issues here? There could be a definite drug use problem going on. What kind of drug? Hard to say. There could be a psychiatric disorder, Yeah, which could include schizophrenia, which is not multiple personality disorder. Schizophrenia is a different thing where Mm -hmm. you have disordered thoughts. Borderline personality is possible. Bipolar is possible. So it could be any number of things. And if a team isn't very comfortable with the psychiatric history or doesn't have full access to his medical history, they would have to be very, very wary about touching this guy. Yeah. The other issue is he's 32 years old. Mm -hmm. So 
at at his age, we can't expect him to play as well as he did in the past. So he'd be a stopgap at the most. So yeah. add that to all his mental health issues. He's not a guy I would want to take a chance on. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And then same thing with Jadavian Clowney. He's not so much off the field issues, but so much is injury history and even though he has been a beast on the field when he does produce but still he's got a lot of injury histories and again he's getting older as well so he's got his questions too yeah he's getting a little bit older but he's only 27 years old so mm-hmm. sur- actually surprisingly young yeah. younger than i thought he'd be yeah same again microfracture surgery in 2014 which was already six years ago microfracture surgery means he's lost cartilage in this knee and that never grows back right so the farther out you are from microfracture surgery the more likely you're having some kind of degenerative dis- changes in your knee and arthritic issues mm-hmm. we saw this a little bit last year he didn't he wasn't super productive. He had a couple games where he was incredible and was, looked like a superstar, but he's not a guy you can count on from a health standpoint. I would not give this guy big money. I would not give this guy a long-term deal with a lot of guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I And that's why if I had to say personally, obviously if I had to choose, I would take Yannick, but again, I don't think he's worth giving up all that. And again, with the way he's acted towards the owner of his team and stuff like that, it doesn't seem like a personality you can want to bring into your locker room and kind of maybe stir up. Because again, we know Matt Patricia just got rid of all those big voice locker room guys. So I don't think he'd be too keen on bringing in another guy similar to that. And then, yeah, I the other two, I'm not really big on as you mentioned even though everson griffin's lit up the lions for years it's just another player at the end of his career trying to get another contract or two or whatever i just don't think he's worth it even if he is just maybe a veteran minimum i don't know if that'd be something that i'd want to do but right and why don't the vikings want him you always have to ask that question that team knows him better than anybody and they don't want him yeah and he's produced for them for so long why would they just go ahead and because they cut him early, didn't they? Or I believe so. I think he still had a year or two left on his contract. But I'm not. Um, I, I might have been wrong. Yeah. This is why your article about Julian O'Quara is on point. Because there's nobody out there that's left that's worthwhile. So mm-hmm. we need Julian O'Quara to step it up, outplay a third round status, get us eight to. 15 sacks this year which would make a huge difference for this team all right so it looks like that's going to do it for us today thanks again everyone for tuning in as always and we'll see you again next time